and welcome to the podcast for the journal addiction. We've got something a little bit different for you this episode, so listen on. Today I'm joined by Editor-in-Chief of the journal, Professor Robert West, and we're going to talk about the new reviewer guidelines that have just been published on the journal's website. So Robert, do you want to just tell us why you or the editorial board thought that it was a good idea to create these guidelines? Yes, I think that we tend to take reviewing for granted and assume that reviewers know everything they need to know in order to be able to review manuscripts. But uh, not only is that generally not the case, but also standards change and practices change. And in these uh, current times, we thought that it was a good idea to refresh our guidelines and also through this podcast and other other means to draw people's attention to them so that they actually look at them. And the guidelines, they are reviewer guidelines, they're guidelines for the people reviewing, but actually they're also quite useful for authors of papers that they're submitting to the journal to have a look at as well. Yes, they are. I think if I was submitting to addiction and I wasn't aware of these guidelines, I would certainly look at them because, of course, these are the standards against which their articles are going to be judged. But it also helps authors to interpret the reviewers' comments when they come back. For example, one of the things that we uh, tell reviewers is don't put in the review your recommendation about whether the paper should be published or not, because that's an editorial decision. And so when authors see reviewers' comments, which don't include a recommendation to reject, but the, but the article is rejected, then they think, well, I can deal with these comments, and so why is this article being rejected? So, but the reason is, um, you know, as we say to our reviewers, that uh, decision or recommendation needs to go to the editor separately. And reviewers have an option to do that, don't they? They write the comments to the authors, but also comments to the editor. Yes, they do. And you might say, well, you know, in, the, in these days of uh, increased uh, transparency, you know, why should we separate those things out? And the reason is just that when you're making a decision as to whether a paper should be accepted in a journal like this, importance and major factors come into play that aren't really the sort of thing that you'd necessarily want or feel that you should communicate to an author. It's an editorial decision. So authors would get uh, confused if they saw, you know, one uh, reviewer saying, well, it should, you should accept this, another one saying, well, you shouldn't, and then the article was accepted or rejected. So yes, there's, there's, there's those two sections, comments to the editor and comments to the authors. So should we get into the sort of nitty gritty of these new guidelines? What's the purpose of a review, I suppose? Mm. Uh, Well, twofold. One is to uh, decide whether or not this this article is for this particular journal. I I think nowadays we take the view that if a study has been well conducted, then it should be published somewhere. But of course, you know, it depends on a whole bunch of things as to whether this is the right journal for it. You know, like it or not, uh, some journals judge the importance of articles and say, well, we're only going to be able to find space for the more important articles. So um, making that kind of decision is obviously the first thing. But the second thing, and probably the more important role of reviews, is to help authors to improve manuscripts. I only ever once in my whole life managed to get an article accepted by a journal without any revision. And that's after, you know, 400 or 500 articles. So clearly 
uh, when you send an article to a journal, you think, well, this must be good enough. You know, you don't send an article thinking this is this is rubbish or you know it needs amendment by and large. So you think it's good enough, but you need another set of eyes on it. You need someone else who's not been involved in the study to have a, have a look at it. And so that's where the review comes in. And reviewers' comments can be very important in helping to improve manuscripts. It can seem like quite a lot of work for a reviewer, can't it? You get sent requests to review from lots of journals. Sometimes you can get multiple ones a week and it can feel quite overwhelming. So how much work is expected to go into a review? It's it's a tricky one because obviously we want reviews to be as thorough as possible. But on the other hand, we recognise that reviewers are doing this in their own time for really precious little reward, only for the the good of mankind. And so it's a question of striking a balance. Uh, All I can say, I think, is, well, there's two things. One is, on average, I would say I spend about an hour, hour, maybe an hour and a half on a review. Sometimes a lot less and sometimes more if it's a particularly interesting paper that has a lot of work that probably needs doing on it, but I think it needs to, it should be published. The second thing is that For a journal like Addiction, if you identify as a reviewer something which is really a drop-dead point in the sense that um, there's no way this article is going to be able to be accepted by the journal, either because of a methodological flaw or because it's not the right article for the journal, then I would stop there, to be quite honest. I think I wouldn't spend more than, you know, literally a few minutes if you've identified that problem. Um, Then you can save yourself a lot of time. And I think this brings us on to something else that's quite important when you're writing reviews, and that's to think about the language that you use. Sometimes you are criticising someone else's work, and sometimes you might think, well, why on earth have they done it like this? So are there any sort of hints and tips about how to write a review, what kind of language to use, and things to sort of touchstones to keep in mind when you're writing reviews? First and foremost, remember that the people who are reading reviews are people like you who care about their research and who think they've done a good job, by and large, and to treat them with respect. The other thing, I think, is just to be be a little humble in recognising that they probably know a lot more about what it is that uh, they're working on and the area than than you do, because it's been the the topic of their study. And so uh, if you think that they've done something idiotic or said something idiotic, it's possible that you might not have understood it. Of course, it's also possible that they've said or done something idiotic. But I think I would start from the presumption that they know what they're talking about and then work back from that. Um, So I think respect is really important. Second thing which is related to that is you're not criticising them. Never, ever, ever criticise the author or say things about they need... I I had one reviewer who said, after I had written at least two books on statistics, that I needed to get statistical advice on this paper because I didn't know what I was talking about. And uh, I can say with some certainty that uh, I did. (laughs) So don't don't criticise the authors, but uh, respectfully indicate where you think there may be issues and how those can be addressed in the in a revision to the to the paper or seek clarification if you think someone's done something silly or it doesn't look right or you think it's missing information then um, ask for clarification from the authors so those are i think sort of some overarching uh, points that i would raise Brilliant. Well, I think that's really quite sort of clear about these guidelines. Are there any kind of key points that you hope people will take away from these guidelines before we wrap up? 
what we're trying to do in these guidelines is, is not to go into chapter and verse about how to do research and so on, because we assume that people are reviewing, who are reviewing manuscripts uh, already know a lot. They're just really highlighting certain things that we think are important. The only other one that I think uh, I would draw attention to is the issue of conflict, conflicts of interest, competing interests. The reality is that you know, in a field like ours, in uh, you know, you probably know the person. Quite, it's quite likely you'll know them. Um, you may have worked with them at some point, and that's fine. I, you know, we we can't exclude ourselves from reviewing things just because we've worked with someone. But at the same time, um, I think we need to attempt to be as dispassionate as we can. And I think, by and large, reviewers are. I've certainly, you know, as an author and <laughs> an editor of the journal having had probably more papers turned down by the journal than, than accepted, I feel that my colleagues don't have any qualms about uh, uh, doing me any favours. And that's right. That's as exactly as it should be. So I think just bear that in mind. If as a, as a reviewer, one has, you know, clearly feels one's got a conflict of interest and you can't be dispassionate, then absolutely fine to, do, to say, look, I'm, I can't do this review. Fabulous. Well, thank you very much. My pleasure. And uh, you know, I would say to people reading, the, uh, listening to this podcast, um, you know, do have a look at the guidelines uh, for the reviewers, whether you're a reviewer or an author, or indeed one of our wonderful team of esteemed assistant and senior editors. And there we go. The guidelines are available on the Addiction website by navigating to Instructions to Authors and then Reviewer Guidelines. Although they were written with this journal in mind, they provide general information that can be useful when writing or receiving reviews. We'd love to hear your comments on the guidelines, so do get in touch to share your thoughts at addictionjrnl on Twitter or email us. Thank you for listening.